Albert Einstein. Remember him? He once said, Nothing will benefit human health and increase chances for survival of life on Earth as much as the evolution of the vegan diet. And we happen to agree. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. Welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. And today we have a special guest on the show. I've been wanting to speak with her in this format for a long time. Glad we finally have it happening. We have Shabnam Islam on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. What's up, Sean and SoFlow Vegan fans? I'm so excited to be here today. So, I mean... I'm the reason I'm so excited to have you on is because I've had the opportunity to work with you in person or with, with the peeled production. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but also just seeing all the stuff that you're doing online, the projects that you're working on, and just the just how awesome you are on camera. You know, that's that's my background for years and years. So when I see someone in the vegan space doing that at your level, I just want to make sure I'm sharing that with all of our audience so they can catch and see what you're up to. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So the first thing that we do on our podcast, for those of you that have listened before, is we do our vegan origin story. And if you're not sure what that is, it's, you know, everyone has those seeds that have been planted in their lives that got them to the point where they are right now in their vegan journey. And I feel it's really important for us to hear those stories because if you're just starting off, you might relate to something in their story or be shocked to hear something that got them to this point. So with that being said, what is your vegan origin story? That's, you know, when I went vegan, I was already pescatarian. So giving up dairy, I was still eating fish here and then, but I was predominantly what we call plant-based. And I was actually working for Playboy at the time, not as a model. I'm not that, I'm not as privileged to have done that. I had girlfriends that were models for Playboy and I was training them. And so a girlfriend of mine who was Playmate of the Year 2014, Miss Kennedy Summers, best friend of mine, we went to Mexico for a wedding and I was her plus one. And so of course, when we were dining together, I didn't feel like it was appropriate to be eating any dairy or fish or anything in front of her. So I abstained. And the third day into it, she said, you know what, Shab, you haven't eaten anything. I I think you should go vegan. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I just love eggs and fish. And she was like, you know what? I dare you. I dare you to go vegan for 30 days. And that was the beginning for me. It opened my eyes from the matrix. You know what I mean? But I lost 22 pounds in the first four weeks. And I'm a very healthy person. So I had no idea where that weight loss came from. And I realized that, okay, there's more to being vegan than just health. Well, I mean, I think that that was the that was the intersectionality of it for me, where I realized that being vegan wasn't just about health. It was about rights and social justice and capitalism and things that I knew that if I decided to abstain from these products and these practices, I could really make an impact in the world. And so take us through 
after that point, how did that, how did your life change now that you adopted this lifestyle? <laughs> well, I think like most people, you're like angry vegan when you first enter or exit the matrix, right? You were so woke and all you want to do is share this message with people. And I might've been a bit abrasive in, in sharing my, my wokeness and the intersectionality of what it meant to be vegan. Uh, but what I did realize is that even if I did lose some relationships and some friendships or some partnerships, they weren't the right pieces for me. And what ended up happening is that I ended up finding, meeting the love of my life, who's mm. vegan, because real men don't eat meat. And <laughs> um, I ended up finding a company that, VKind, that hired me as their spokesperson. And I realized that I could do what I loved, do what I was good at and have it match my ethics and my values. I didn't have to sacrifice one or the other for it to be something that was, I was able to make a viable living off of. And I feel like that's a human right. And, and you you created the, the, the segue there. We'll go a little bit into that and then more into some of the other amazing things that you're doing. So how we first met was through VKind, through the yep. Peel production. So let, let's talk a little bit about VKind and how you got connected with them and like some of the things that go on there. Well, VKind originally, I found out through my partner, Balaj, who was reading like VegApp magazine, saw that there was an audition for their V-Kind vibe show, they were looking for a host. And it was literally 24 hours before the submission was due. So I was working all day as a professor, finished my class at like 8.30 p.m. And I said, you know what? I better just do this quick taping. Did one raw taping, submitted it. They contacted me a few days later and was like, hey, we would love you to be the host of V-Kind Vibes. So when we shot the show in Los Angeles at Besties Vegan Paradise, I had the opportunity to meet the creator, star, Simmons. Um, and this is a female owned uh, vegan company. And Star is just magical. And I said, listen, I, I really love who you are. I love what you're doing here. If you ever have an opportunity for a full-time host, please let me know. I would love to work with you. Three months later, they contacted me and they hired me on as their spokesperson. And I felt like it was just kismet. And then that, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things that happened in between there, but like how we met was through the production of Peeled, which was a really cool opportunity. And, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about Peeled? Because you were, you were one of the hosts of that show, which was really cool. So tell me a little bit about Peeled for people who haven't seen it yet. It's up on YouTube and P on the Peeled website, but tell us about what is Peeled? Peeled is this is the first of its kind kind of cooking show. It's an all vegan cooking competition show. If you traditionally love watching the Food Network, watching people cook, compete against each other, create engaging recipes, things that you can cook from home, things that you have in your pantry, we did that on Peeled. We did it with really simple recipes that wowed our judges and also kind of scared our judges from time to time. But the only way you'll know that is by watching the show, which is totally available for you to watch for free on Unchained TV and on PeeledShow.com. I had the opportunity of working with Sean, who you all know from SoFlow Vegans, and of course, my dear friend, Chef Babette, who co-hosted this event, the Peeled Show with me, which was amazing. And for those of you who don't know who Chef Babette is, I hope I could look as good as she does at 72 as I do in my 30s. So, <laughs> you know, Peeled was a great, a great combination with really good people, a really diverse cast crew. And 
it inspired people to think that being vegan, going vegan, cooking vegan is a lot easier and accessible than you think it is. And, and that's the whole thing. And that's the reason why I have this podcast is to bring people on such as yourself who can talk about not just, you know, a lot of the information that's out there that they can research and Google, but also their experiences as well. And what you do with your clients and even with the, as a teacher, as a professor, what you do, I feel like this is a great resource on this podcast itself for us to pick your brain so people can walk out with moving in that right direction for themselves, obviously. So right. with that being said, you know, what are some of the things that you would, you know, recommend for someone looking to take themselves on um, from a health perspective when they decide to adopt a plant-based diet? Carbohydrates are not the enemy. There is this thing called the carbohydrate fallacy people. Um, and what you need to remember is that the meat and dairy industry makes a lot of money making sure that you buy a lot of their products. And when you look at the human system, carbohydrates, glucose, and glycogen, that is our energy currency. That is how we fuel our muscles. That is the fuel you put into your car, in your body, is carbohydrates. That's what really keeps you going. And so when we think about the foods that we eat, they need to be carbohydrate dense fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, beans. And you can get a lot of these alternatives with these new food products that we have out on the market. So you see great food alternatives in the food tech industry now, like things like Just Egg that can still provide you the way that you want to eat that you did when you weren't vegan. You still want your omelets. You still want your scrambles. You can get that with Just Egg, but it's made from mung bean. So you get a full dosage of protein while you get a really low dosage of carbohydrate. And you still get your omelet in the morning without all the animal cruelty. So I think there are ways that you can still consume the foods that you want without it being harmful to the environment and still being beneficial to the human system. And the last thing you need to think is the carbs, the enemy, because it's not. It's your energy currency. So here is the golden rule. You want to have approximately a three to one ratio of carbohydrates to protein in your diet, particularly post-workout. So having something like 15 grams of carbs to what? What would that be? Three grams of protein is sufficient. And you can get that in a berry smoothie because you will still get varying quantities of proteins if you still have a varying quantity of fruits and vegetables. So for people thinking that you always need to supplement or be eating meat to get your protein, that's a fallacy. You can get it from your carbohydrate-dense foods. And, and it's interesting. It's like when you, especially I know when I went first went vegan, you know, everybody was worried about my health and you know, worried about, <laughs> you know, are you going to be okay? What, you know, are the foods you're going to eat? Meanwhile, it's like we're, we're sitting at McDonald's, right? So with that being said, what are some of those other fallacies that come up? Obviously we talked, you know, you talked a little bit about protein and things of that nature, but what are some health fallacies that commonly come up that people who may be just starting their vegan journey can be like, all right, calm down. I'm going to be okay. Thank you for your concern. I think also like people think of it as like another quick fix. It's not a quick fix to a solution. When people think about like changing the way they look and change, like losing weight, they'll often do like quick fix diets, like 
ketogenic diets, Atkins diets. And so what the vegan diet shows you is that you're getting a comprehensive plate. Like if you look at the Harvard's My Healthy Eating Plate, what you'll see is your plate needs to include small portion of whole grains, lean protein, vegetables, and of course, some sort of water and healthy fats. So what you're seeing is that when you consume solely from a vegan diet, predominantly from a whole food plant-based diet, you're getting every single element that you need. When you start to do diets like Atkins or keto, you start to eliminate essential vitamins and minerals that are necessary for metabolic function. And so I know people say, yes, I lose weight. Well, yes, then you put excessive stress on the renal system. And so if you are somebody who may have kidney disease in the family, this may put you at greater risk because you are processing more ketones through the kidneys. And so what you don't see happen is these kind of negative contraindicative effects with whole food, plant-based foods. Now, if you are somebody eating processed burgers and you're also eating vegan fried chicken, which I think is completely necessary in a diet, particularly if you're transitioning, you need to know that you can still have your gluttonous versions of what you like. However, if it makes up a majority of your diet, it's still not healthy for you and you can still see negative adverse health effects right? Eating too much fried food, eating too much processed carbohydrate. But that shouldn't be your concern if you're really thinking about eating, you know, rice, whole grains, quinoa, legumes, beans, lentils. And mind you, Chef Babette's burger from Steph I Eat, I just got to plug this because my favorite, mm-hmm. is made from walnuts and mushrooms and rice. And it is the meatiest, juiciest, burger I've ever tasted in my life. And yet it is complete source of protein because of the multiple types of foods that she puts into it that makes it full of all of its essential amino acids. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that we're trying to tell you is that you can still eat your soul food, eat your gluttonous stuff and see great health benefits just if the sources are a little bit different. So you mentioned a lot of different sources of protein and how important is protein when you're looking to work out and you're looking to build muscle and get tone? Like, how does that play a role with each other? Listen, protein is an essential, you know, amino acids are an essential building block for protein, right? And you're, you, when you're thinking about protein, what you're talking about is getting your body in a basic nitrogen balance. And that's why we consume protein to ensure that the building of muscle, of repairing muscle is done from amino acid profile. However, if we were talking about not only producing energy, but also gaining size, hypertrophy, which is essential for many bodybuilders and for people that actually want to start looking like Chef Babette, right? You have to eat carbohydrates and your body, your you need to have anywhere between 45 to 65% of your entire nutrient-dense profile, acceptable macronutrients from carbohydrates to see this kind of hypertrophic effect occur. Mm. And so people always think, oh, well, I need to eat less of that. No, you don't. If you want to look swole, you need some sugar, bro. You need it, yeah. which always... It, it, 
this is what I hate the most. Sorry to digress. But like when you go into like these health food stores and it's always like sugar free, like negative net carbs. And I'm like, I just rode 50 miles on a bicycle here. I need sugar immediately or I'm going to knock everything over in your store because this is ridiculous. And so I find it fascinating that we push people to not eat carbohydrates, but that is exactly what you need predominantly immediately post workout within a 30 to 40 minute window post workout. You have a very strong metabolic acceptance of bringing sugar into the muscle cell. And so through the use of physical activity, we increase or increase our insulin sensitivity significantly. And so within 30 to 40 minutes post-workout, that is when we can really take in the most glucose into the muscle cell, see the, see the metabolic repair, and also see hypertrophic gains. Thank you for that. And um, because I know a lot of people, it's, you hear so often that carbs are bad, you know, stay away from them. And I feel like putting it in its proper context is important for people to hear that. And um, the other piece to that as well is where, since we're on the topic of physical exercise, I've also heard that, I forget what the, the, the percentage is, but it's a high percentage of health and losing weight or whatever you want to, you know, fill in the blank for your health is about your diet. And exercise is a smaller portion, but how important is exercise? Because I'm just speaking from personal, um, for personally, when I decided to, you know, be more active and, and go to the gym, um, you know, regularly, I've noticed so many benefits in my life. And I just want to hear it from a professional kind of like, what, what is, what is the benefits of continuous um, daily exercise rather? Absolutely. And that's a great question. And we think about the sustained levels of health prolonged throughout time when we think about physical activity, right? Your diet really helps to lower things like blood pressure, keep your weight at a specific level, you know, so you can maintain movement more easily and more functionally. However, when we exercise, we think about building lean muscle mass, increasing cardiovascular capacity. We're thinking about increasing our capillary density. So we have a greater mitochondrial network within our muscle cell and greater capillary density allows us to increase this this communication network over the course of all the muscle. And the greater the communication network I have, the more blood flow I have throughout the muscle and the more impact I can have when I provide nutrients to it, when I provide resistance um, in terms of exercise. Secondarily, we want to think about things like how strong the heart gets and how that can really minimize things like blood pressure over time, particularly if you are hypertensive before starting a kind of fitness program. By engaging in regular physical activity, cardiovascular activity, what we are doing is we're creating an ability for the heart to do a little bit less work in terms of speed because we create a greater stroke volume because this heart is now stronger to push more blood volume out per pump. Mm -hmm. And so you start to think about, well, like, oh, that happens with exercise, with cardiovascular training. But how does the heart change with resistance training? Well, the heart can actually gain size with resistance training. And by gaining more hypertrophic size, it can thereby have a stronger squeeze per pump, thereby pushing more blood through the system. And so there's 
there are so many wonderful things. We even say that by engaging in more physical activity, that we have greater cognitive function, greater blood flow to the brain. This allows for more synaptic messaging to happen in, in, in the mind. And so when we think about things like aging, mm. the thing for anti-aging, truly the magic pill is exercise. And then you combine that with a plant-based diet, you mm. get to look and feel like you're 32 when you're 72, like Chef Babette. We want to hear from you. Visit our website to ask a question, leave a comment, or tell us how much you love the show. We'll play some of your messages during the episode, as well as directly to our guests. So be sure to leave your name and city and visit SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. And so as far as like some of the exercises, you mentioned resistance, you mentioned cardio. Are there some of you, do you have some go-tos that you recommend off the bat for people? Absolutely. You know, when we see longitudinal, longitudinal, long-term effects of chronic dosages of activity, so basically engaging in the same activity for multiple weeks, a couple, a few times a week, two to three times a week, say over six weeks or so, like cycling, engaging in, in an activity like cycling or doing what we call working at a zone two level of heart rate and zone two level of heart rate is anywhere between like 55 to six, 55 to 65 percent of your heart rate max. And so heart rate max is 220 minus your age, you get your heart rate max. So anywhere between 55 and 65 percent of that, you're working at that zone two level for approximately 90 minutes or more. And if you do that two to three times a week and people are like, God, 90 minutes, Who's time time? Well, do you have time to be in the hospital laid up, not doing anything? Mm. Who's got time for that? Who's got time for illness? So if you don't have time for your wellness, you better make some freaking time for your illness because it's going to happen. You know, you got to pay the piper somewhere. Debt is owed. Mm -hmm. And so you, you want to put it in now. And by the way, you get to look kind of fly when you, when you put in that debt now. There's nothing about looking fly laid up, having somebody wipe you, clean you. And you're completely dependent on someone else. And that mm -hmm. is a life I do not want to live. And so when I encourage people, when they're like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I don't have time. You really do need to consider what you're too tired and too exhausted and what you don't have time for. Um, because I have had both. I've been in incredible fitness and I've also been laid up in a hospital in 2013, getting my, my last rights read, read to me oh. with my family surrounding my bedside because I just wasn't healthy. I was living a very stressful life and it was impacting me physically. And it took me to change my life to now be here today. And I think that when you think about people that are vegan or health influencers or you don't really know their journey. And a lot of us got here because we, we hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. We know what death feels like. And I never want to be there again. And so I only want to share that love and encouragement with you with some evidence. There is science behind what we preach. And the reason why we're telling you this is because it's not only going to make you healthy. It's going to make the world healthy. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Like <laughs> I grew up watching, I come from a family of physicists. Both of my parents are PhDs in physics. My brother is an astrophysicist PhD. And so Star Trek, Star Wars was our jam. And so when we think about being beamed up or when we're in, 
when we're in the cantina and we're like ordering something and it just like beams up in front of you. Well, that is what food tech and food science is because in 500, 600 years from now, that's not going to be a real beef burger that is transported onto your plate or whatever you see. What mm. you will see is this processed plant-based or cell-based meat that people may be now doing that is not as real as we think it is. So we should really start preparing for a shift. And on those lines, and first of all, what, who's your favorite uh, your your favorite captain? I was such a Shatner fan. Like Kirk, <laughs> my Kirk is my man. But Picard is, you know, Picard's my homeboy. So nice, nice. Um, so I just I wanted to get that aside before I move too far away from Star Trek. Um, <laughs> and talking about food tech, and you know, that's a huge space. And just I want to say the last four years, seeing the development and how things are rolling out and hearing behind the scenes of a lot of things that are in development. What is your general take on that? Like, how do you, how, like, what are your, what are your thoughts? I'm like, how do I invest? Like, mm. how, like, how do I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not like a big baller yet. So I can't just be like, yo, here's like 400,000 towards your, your investment though to be continued. That is going to be happening sometimes. But um, I, I think it, it's like, it's like the Apple and the Google of today. I think if this is this is where investment and money is going to be focused on in the future, because we see the intersectionality of animal agriculture, social justice, the movement of plant-based uh, plant-based nutrition for health needs. Like when you think about the hospital, like I was saying, I was on my deathbed. The, the first things that they give to you that you're prescribed immediately, like post-cardiac surgery or post-op or whatever, you have you have you have so many animal-based options provided to you to keep you sick. Mm. And so I think food tech is gonna be able to provide so many solutions to so many problems. Um, I, I think if you guys are thinking about investing, keep your, keep your eye out for these, these big companies coming up and when they become publicly traded, <laughs> jump in immediately. I know so, I will. So, so that brings up a good question. I never really talked about this. So with the food tech, with the, with the, what, forget the cell-based meat, what does it call it? What do they call it? Cell-based meat. Mm -hmm. with, with the cell-based meat. Is it exactly like the meat or do they engineer it where it's a little bit where it's not as where it doesn't have the harmful effects in it as well i mean some cell-based meat has to actually sacrifice an animal because you need its complete dna structure mm -hmm. some cell-based meat um processes or methods can just do a biopsy of a particular meat like like if you're trying to process like the hawk or the ham you know you can take a biopsy of the hip or the, the, the gluteal joint and then grow that from a Petri dish. Mm -hmm. So the processes are different for different companies. And so uh, frankly, for me, it, as a vegan, I really wouldn't want to consume something like this because I still feel like it's exploiting the animal. Right. Mm -hmm. it, however, if people want to eat that totally fine, like uh, more power to you, you're not, ruining the climate you're not killing hundreds of billions of animals i'm okay 
if this is your choice. And frankly, then my dogs can actually eat this kind of food if that's the process. Mm -hmm. But then we also have options like clean meat, like the Better Meat Co. is making meat options from mycelium. So there is so many different things that you could make, ways that you can make meat alternatives. I think it's just, it's just nuts. And it tastes so real. Okay, so so you answered my question there with clean meats because um, you know, with the benefit that I see with what they're doing is that it's directly addressing factory farming. And I feel like when I listen to everyone talk, I listen to the Joe Rogans of the world, I listen to this, I like to listen to everyone so I can have a well-informed opinion on, on, on particular subject matters. And the uh, cross-section that I see is that a lot of people on both sides of the aisle have issues with factory farming, you know, and I, and I bring up the hunters and the vegans and everyone. So I feel like something like this would decrease the reliance on factory farming tremendously, especially if it's cost less to produce over time. So I feel like from appealing to the economic interests of these businesses, which ultimately that's, you know, where all roads lead to Rome, you know, that's where you're going to get people to actually make change just by showing they can make a profit off of it. Sadly, that's the case. That's what excites me the most about this, being able to have that information and having that IP and seeing that grow. And this also the excitement behind it as well. And I think once you have enough companies adopting it and you can actually see uh, a change in terms of cost and it was benefiting the end consumer as well, I think people will get over the fact that they consider it processed, um, even though they're probably not even sure what goes into their meat that they buy at the supermarket. Yeah. Like for you to think that your meat is that pink and in your package, you, that is an asinine assumption to assume that that, that, that visual right there is the definition of what processed is. It's injected with so many dyes and preservatives and antibiotics and antifungals that it is consumable, made to be consumable by humans. Mm -hmm. And that, even that is questionable, which is why we say, oh, you must cook your meat. Because Mm -hmm. if you did dare eat that raw, sweet God, baby Jesus, I, like these people that eat these raw meat milkshakes, I'm like, oh, God. Oh, think of all the worms inside your body. Gross. Those videos, you ever seen them? Like they actually take out tumors and all the different things inside the meat. And the thing is, I can't believe I used to eat that way. And I did for almost 35 years of my life. And so now at encroaching upon four and a half years of veganism and I am shifting, I'll be 40 this summer. So I'm like, I'm so excited that I get to experience turning 40, starting my fifth year veganism. It all intersects at the same time because I, when I look at my best friend, Chef Babette, Mm -hmm. who's 72, who told me that when she was 40, she started veganism and she started training. And I'm like, okay, I've got a few years of training on her. (laughs) And, but the vegan, and I've gotten, now I've got a few years of veganism on her too. Mm -hmm. And it gives me hope because I truly see someone who has done the work, Mm -hmm. who does the work. And and granted, she eats a lot better than I do. Like this woman just like juices and like juices 
all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. She doesn't really eat much unless it's like a raw salad. And so the interesting thing is like, I'm like, oh, okay. So these are the transitions. These are the things, the shifts that I'm going to probably see myself going through as I get further into my veganism. You know, like I've always seen like, oh, wow, raw vegan, that must be so tough. And then now I'm really interested and excited about that experience because I, I know the science behind it. I know that the reason why raw veganism is so so successful is because of the micro and macronutrition that you get immediately at the onset of consumption of these foods. And because it is so powerful in nutrition and heavily dosed in vitamins and minerals that the satiety happens in an instant. And so it's so high in fiber, you get so full so quickly and you immediately within 24 hours can see immediate effects in things like your skin, your hair, your nails. And that is aside from just, you know, aside from probably water content. But that's the thing, like when you think about the food that you eat, is that an experience you get when you eat dead flesh. Mm. No, you don't. You don't have an experience of vitality through your entire human system because you are consuming that source of energy. And that energy is filled with death, fear, negative catecholamines, fight or flight. That's, Mm. That's what people ingest. And you have to wonder why our society is so angry and so fueled by hate and fear. Well, it's physics. That energy goes somewhere. And it's interesting. Like I remember when I used to, um, when I used to eat Thanksgiving, you know, you had the joke of the, you have the itis after, <laughs> after, after eating the turkey and everything. And it's like, ha 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 ha. But you know, <laughs> it's, it's not a good, you know, it's not a good thing. You shouldn't feel that yeah. way about your food. So as we start to move a little bit into providing some, we talked about the health aspects, some of the parts of the health aspects. I'm sure there's a lot more that we can discuss on this podcast. If I talked about the exercise, um, we talked a lot about cardio, but what about more of the resistance side of side of it? Like for people who may not understand like what exactly resistance is, could you explain that a little bit? I mean, resistance training is going to change the vitality of the muscle cell itself. Like you have the ability to hypertrophy it, make it bigger, You will have the ability to make it stronger if you uh, use a particular force or intensity. So with ACSM, they recommend for building muscle strength, you need to work anywhere between 8 to 12 reps where you can actually work anywhere between 60 and 70% of your 1RM. So if if you can only bench 100 pounds one time, then that means for anywhere between eight and 12 reps, you should be pushing 60 to 70 pounds. Like, and by your 12th rep, you should not be able to do that without momentary muscular fatigue. And that's what lets you know that you're going in that particular intensity. Now, the reason why we say that these these particular type of resistance training is important is it because it helps enhance all of the other benefits that you're getting from a healthy lifestyle with plant-based nutrition, right? So if you are a leaner person because you're eating less food, now we can help create more lean muscle mass. So if we have more lean muscle mass, we have less body fat. We have a 
better, again, communication system with our blood, with our blood flow. So when we think about blood entering the muscle cell, so things enter the muscle cell through the use through, through a blood barrier system or the endothelial lining. And the more muscle we have and the less fat we have, the better the communication system is mm. and the better nutrients, the more sugar I can get into the muscle cell at the right time for better impacts, for muscle growth, for energy development, for storage, for later use when I need that for energy later on in the day. Okay. Mm. So all of these things become more proficient if I have more lean muscle mass mm -hmm. and if I reduce my body fat, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why we say resistance exercise is important because it helps you really get these gains. And particularly as you get older, it helps build bone mineral density. You need impact in this density, the strength to build bone density uh, as you age. And this is particularly important for women that are taller, thinner, a little bit more frail as they age. Because remember, bone breaks, particularly as you get older, are really, really hard to recover from. Mm -hmm. So we want to prevent that as much as humanly possible. And before you even say, well, milk builds strong <laughs> bones. No, it does not. Vitamin D in the in the presence of calcium builds strong bones, which is why you often see milk fortified with calcium and vitamin D written on the box because it doesn't naturally come from cow's milk. So you need to have one to have the other and you can get that solely from plant-based milks and plant-based solutions. So let's do this with the plant-based diet and you're taking yourself on you can get a lot of these nutrients from eating a whole food plant-based diet. What are some things that you can't get from plant-based from a plant-based diet that you may need to supplement if there are anything is there if there is anything out there? Is this a trick question? No, no, no. I mean just just I'm just assuming the people listening don't know. Like I I I know I know some of the answers, but um I'm posing the question because um, uh, people, I know there are a few things that don't come natively with just having a plant-based diet, although there are some science out there for certain types of plants and seaweeds and things of that nature. So I just want to go over some things like B12 and different um, things that people can take in addition to the foods that they're eating. Well, B12 you usually get from bacteria in the soil. And so that's for everybody. And so if you're getting your B12 from an animal, you're actually getting it from a secondary source. You're, you're getting it from the middleman, right? You're eating the flesh of the animal that actually ate the bacteria. So you're not actually getting whole sources of B12. So what we do recommend for anybody, any and everybody, vegan, flexitarian, meditarian, get a B12 shot, you know, two to four times a year based off it. You could see huge impacts and benefits and changes in your energy levels. I get a blood test, probably a, a blood panel every year. My B12 levels, my protein levels have been in the higher range of normal since I went vegan. And so I'm not suffering from any kind of, and I'm, and I'm, not taking any kind of extra supplements. I have a really colorful food plate and it happens often. And so that's the thing is that I feel like I'm getting my nutrients, my 
amino acids, my carbohydrates, my fiber, my folate, my methylthionine, like all of these things that you need that you would get probably in a multivitamin. So I recommend, you know, taking a, a, a multivitamin. Like these are things that you should even take, even if you're even if you're eating meat, right? Mm-hmm. So the more colorful and combination foods you can create, the better it is. And I think the easiest solution is to ensure that if you made one salad a day, okay, mm-hmm. ensure that your salad is as robust and as colorful and as different textured as possible. So like have romaine, have arugula, have spinach, right? Mix it up. Have a scoop of quinoa or brown rice or something warm that makes you feel like it's satiated, right? Mm -hmm. Scoop being like a quarter cup to a half cup, depending on how hungry you are. I would add some crunch. So add whatever your type of favorite type of nut is, but get it in whole food form. Mm -hmm. We always recommend that the best way to absorb oils in the system is through its natural seed form. Mm -hmm. So seed, nuts, put that Put like a tablespoon or two in there. Then put in your protein, whatever that is, tofu, tempeh, vegan meatballs. I don't give a shit, but put them in there, okay? Just a handful. Then carrots, some celery, some, uh, what do you call them, cucumbers, olives, onions. But notice that I always do different rows of things. So it looks really colorful, really beautiful. Probably cost $27 at your regular store, but it cost me $2.99 here because I'm just paying for my effort, not really what I paid for at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So, right, like what you're looking at is that in itself could satiate you and provide you with significant vitamins, minerals, proteins, carbohydrates, everything that you need, full bout of amino acid profile for the entire day wow. in that one meal. And here we are stuck on the carbs are bad for you, sugar is bad for you. And where do you get your protein from? Like, dude, where do you get your fiber from? Like, how many times a day do you poop? Like, I want to be in a three plus a day club. If you're not, then we systematically have an issue. And so the questions that we ask ask about health and how we think about health, we need to change that conversation. Thank you. I think on that note, (laughs) um, I want to give you an opportunity to let people know more about some projects you're working on, anything that they can look forward to seeing, and of course, where they can get more information about you. Well, I'm really, really, really excited to be coming to the Vegan Health and Fitness Expo, Bodybuilding Expo in Fort Lauderdale in April. It is coming right up, and I really hope to meet a lot of you there in person. And then a month from that, I'm going to be speaking at the Vegan Women's Summit in New York in May 18th through the 21st. Another project that is so near and dear to my heart is Vegan Corn Hub. My dear friend, Chef Babette, and I have a podcast called More BS. It's on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram at Vegan Corn Hub. And just give us some love because we're just really trying to share how easy it is to live a healthy plant-based lifestyle at any age. Nice, nice. And then... The final segment, and I gave you a little heads up earlier, is our From the Heart segment. And this is your opportunity to speak directly to our audience. It's essentially going to be your podcast. And when you're complete, that will be the end of the show. One thing I want you to remember is not a single cell in your body is the same as it was 24 hours ago. You are always changing. You're always learning. And things are dying and things are growing. That's life. And 
that is should be your focus for your plant-based journey. It doesn't matter where you were. doesn't matter where you are. It matters where you want to be and how you're going to work for it. Effort takes effort. It takes time. It takes dedication and it takes consistency. And so it doesn't matter if you fall off the wagon. Just get back on. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to do. Because remember, you're not the same person that you were yesterday. You're definitely not the same person you were five years ago. And the person that you want to be five years from now can be whoever you want. But you have to start building that person today. And I really hope you do it with grace. And I hope you do it with plants. And I really hope you see that the choices you make every day have an impact on communities all around the world. You matter. Your choices matter. You've been listening to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle. Having on vegan experts from around the globe, Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlo Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlo Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at SoFloVegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.